Welcome to American Steel, folks. Glad to have you with us today. We have some special guests with us today. As always, Mike is on the engineering side of it, but Mike also is a contributor to the show. We have Corey Ross with Warrior Mindset, Julie Beck, and Pastor Russ Adcox from the Murray Hills uh, Baptist Church. Just church. Just church. Yep. Murray Hills Murray church. church. Okay. Yep. Well, thank you guys for being here. Um, I know it's the holidays, so thank you very much for taking the time to be here on American Steel. Uh, we were going to talk about leadership and those kind of things, but I wanted to kind of uh, introduce Pastor Russ and say, uh, ask you to uh, give us kind of a, a little bit about your background, a little bit about the church. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Hornwald, Tennessee, which is not far from here. And so the way I explain it, you know, Columbia was still the big city for us. So this is where we came to... Uh, go to the dentist and the doctor and go out to eat and go to the movies and go shopping and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like I grew up in Columbia, but I've actually lived here for 19 years. So family and I moved over here from Hohenwald 19 years ago to be the pastor at Murray Hills Church. And so that that church started in 2021, and I came as the pastor in 2024. Okay, and then with Julie Beck with us, excuse me, twenty oh four. I was going to yeah, say, uh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, yeah. He was looking at me like twenty twenty four. That hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Well, and if you know anything about uh, success, then you know that if Julie Beck's involved, it's going to be successful. Is that right, Corey? No, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, Julie, thanks for being here. I know you're about to travel out for the holidays. And, Julie, you are you and Pastor are with the uh, Columbia Columbia Peace and Justice Initiative. Peace and Justice Initiative. And yes. so, from a leadership standpoint, because Corey and I are kind of in this leadership thing that we're doing, but we all kind of want to bring everything. I want to hear what the pastor has to say about leadership in the church. And then, one of the things I'm interested in is uh, Russ is. Uh, when churches become what we would say dysfunctional, how do you turn that back around? Or how do you identify dysfunction to a functional church and those kind of things? And then I would kind of want to have the same question from the Peace and Justice Initiative, because we've had a lot of great things happening in our community w- with that organization. So, Julie, mm-hmm. tell us about the, the beginning of all that and some of the things that have happened recently that just are great for our community. Yeah, sure. So the Columbia Peace and Justice Initiative really started from a branch of Stand Together Fellowship, which came together, Russ, 2016? Yeah, 2015. 2015, Mm -hmm. and and that came together a group of pastors, community leaders, after the shooting in South Carolina, Um, the the very old church, historical African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, that was just... a time of reflection for us, a time for us to talk about what had happened, why it had happened, how we knew if that could happen there, it could happen here, close to here, in a, in the small town of Columbia. And we wanted to get our community together to talk about these things, the issues that happen here, that have happened here in the past, and create an environment for people to speak freely, to speak about what's going on in their neighborhoods, um, in their families, in their churches, that kind of thing, and for to people to feel comfortable in speaking about the things that are going on and, and the issues, the things that need to be talked about. So Stand Together came about in, in that sense, and then we started the 501c3 Columbia Peace and Justice Initiative from that. Yeah, and there's really, if I can jump in, there's really yeah. a cool origin story with Stand Together. Julie was talking about it. It was, it was Mother Emanuel Church in mm-hmm. Charleston, South Carolina, and Dylan Roof was the, the guy who went in there, attended a Bible study, 
and then killed nine members of that church, including the pastor and I believe a state senator. Um, and of course, the, the shocked the whole nation, and everybody's talking about it. And this this community had a memorial service at St. Paul AME Church. Uh, Dennis Lawson was the pastor there, and so it was, a, it was a packed house. It was full. You had all these different churches and all these different pastors, and it was a very diverse group. And at the end of that service, uh, Trent Ogilvie, who's the president of CPJI now, he stood up at the end of that service and he said, you know, we always do this in a time of tragedy. We always come together and everybody joins hands and prays. And then we go back to our separate neighborhoods, our separate churches and our separate, you know, uh, communities and nothing really changes. And he said, so I want to challenge you guys to come to have a conversation. And so he actually just kind of issued a challenge to the pastors in the room um, let's get together and talk about this. Let's talk about what's going on in Columbia and Murray County. And, you know, are there any racial issues that we need to deal with in our community that are kind of simmering underneath the surface? And so he sent out an email probably two weeks later to all the pastors. He invited the city mayor, the county mayor, the chief of police, the, the sheriff. And uh, we met at the second floor of the Columbia Police Department and just gathered around. They had a huge table, a huge training area up there. And we just sat around the table, and that was just had a conversation. Like, let's just have a conversation. And that's kind of how CPJI began was we met every month, for, and we meet every other month now. Julie leads those, uh, those meetings now, the Stand Together meetings. But we just met every month and came together and said, let's have a conversation, and let's listen to each other and try to learn from each other. And, and that's kind of the, the power behind it is – bringing diverse people to the table and having a conversation. We don't always agree on things. We don't always see the things eye to eye, but we have a conversation about it. And I think that's really powerful for our community. I just feel like as adults, we've come a long way, but I'm not that naive to think that we don't have so much further to go. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, it, my f- experience there, I'll share this story was, you know, the first question that Trent asked at that meeting was what are the racial issues in our community? And I sat there going, I, I can't really, I can't think of any. I don't, I don't, I don't really know, you know, I don't know of any racial issue. And I was kind of naively going, I don't, I can't think of any. And uh, Reverend Kenny Anderson, who's at Mount Calvary Baptist Church, he spoke up and he said, I'll tell you one right now. And we were sitting, you know, downtown Columbia. He goes, look out this window, look out this window. On this side, the streets are getting paved and the sidewalks are taken care of and the Light poles are straight and look pretty, and there's decorations on them. And on this side, there's not anything going. And so it was just, it opened my eyes to there's a different perspective. There's a different, he's seeing a different part of Columbia than I'm seeing. And I just decided that right there. Of course, if you know Kenny Anderson, he's a he's a strong personality. And yes. I love Kenny. Oh, I do too. But I I when you. Kenny was talking, I was like, okay, I'm just going to shut up and listen for a while because, you know, apparently I just need to listen. And so I really tried in those meetings, and that's hard for a pastor to do. You know, (laughs) I just tried to just I'm just going to sit here and listen and try to understand. Um, And and that's kind of, you know, from that, we kind of formed some initiatives of things we wanted to do. But I I agree with you. I don't think we do much of that anymore. You know, we, we spend more time kind of shouting at each other over social media than we do just sitting down across the table from each other and listening to each other's perspective. 
Yeah, well, when that gentleman got shot in Georgia for just going into the house of con- the construction, yeah. that's that's the 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 South Carolina shooting uh, troubled me too, but it didn't trouble trouble me as much as that one mm-hmm. troubled me. So, I mean, I guess uh, from different personal experiences, traumas, perspectives, I guess listening is probably the best approach to start off with before we t- before speaking because everybody's got their own personal experience and trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and being in that group helped me. That was a mod. Aubrey, Aubrey, I believe. I'm not sure I'm saying his name right, but um, being in that group and having been around those conversations for several years, when that happened, I was able to kind of see it from my perspective, how I would normally see that and go, well, why was he fighting those guys? Why was he, you know, I would kind of defend the guys that, that shot him, but I was able to kind of put myself in Kenny's shoes or Trent's shoes and go, you know, how was he being treated differently because of the color of his skin? Was he, you know, was, was there a different situation here? And I was able to, to kind of see it through their perspective a little bit more. And that's the thing that this group's really helped me with more than anything is just trying to see events that happen nationally and locally through a different perspective. Yeah, and I think as a high school principal, I, I get experience with diverse groups all the time. I, I don't know how many languages we have in the school at this point, and beautiful kids coming from all over the world, really. But it dawns on you at some point in your life that just because you don't feel like some other people feel about different cultures and, and races doesn't mean you're part of the solution just because you kind of you don't feel the same way. Because even if you remain, yeah. remain silent when you see something that's not right, then you are part of the problem. You're still not part of the solution and those kind of things. So I had that experience about 10 years ago with one of my students, which really changed my, my life, uh, in, in a, in a better, much, much uh, better way. But, um, so yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective. Uh, tell me pastor real quick. So from a church standpoint, the reason I, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on Corey talks highly about you as well is, but when we honored our first three African American coaches in the history of, Murray County, well, Central High School. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Central High School. You, what you, you were talking, you were saying some things, and I really started. I, at that point, I had never met you, uh, and I'm really big on meeting people with integrity and leadership skills, and those kind of things. And I was really impressed by the things how you, first of all, having it at your church, and then uh, the things that you said about those gentlemen. Um, tell me where your heart was when when you decided to do that. Well, they, uh, I can't remember how that came about. And Tammy Franklin. Thank you. I was Tammy like, get, get, Tammy needs the credit for that. So ta- that was Tammy's idea. Uh-huh. And Tammy's a member at, at our church. And she's like. And we- she's also a teacher in Mount Pleasant. That's right. Yep. She's a Murray County teacher. Okay. Yep. And she's like, we need to recognize this. Like, this is something, this is significant. This is important. And we need to celebrate it. And we need to recognize it. And so she reached out and just said, would our church be willing to host something? And I said, sure, but let me, I think CPJI is the place we need to take this. And so we took it to CPJI and they kind of put together the details and, and coordinated it all. And and we just hosted it as a church. But, uh, I think it's really important. And you heard this, we had a legacy luncheon recently to honor Bernard Childress. I believe you were at that. Yeah, Yeah, I was. It was great. Uh, And you heard the former, I mean, the current athletic director, Chris Pointer, Mm -hmm. talk about the influence Bernard had on him. Because he looked up to Bernard when Bernard was coaching and teaching and said, I want to be like him one day. I want to. And so now I'm like, I was fast forwarding that. Chris Pointer's now in a role where he's got younger kids looking up to him going, I want to be like that guy one day. And that's what, you know, Coach Goff and Coach Levere and, and uh, was it Coach Crawford? You know, th- that's yeah. that's what Coach. they've got. And Coach Crawford coached my son in baseball. That's how I got to, knew, uh, got to know Keith. But – you, it's it's so important for people to see 
for young people to see somebody in a leadership position that they can admire and then want to emulate. And I think that's what that's what you've done. And it's and it's important for people to see folks who look like them. I mean, that's that's to see folks that like you can be in this position and this is something that I want to aspire to. And so that's why I think it's so important that those hires, I think, are, are really important. And I don't know Coach Levere that well and I don't know Coach Golf that well. Coach Crawford is like salt of the earth. Guy. I mean, like I was so impressed with him when he coached my son. And ba- like after the baseball game, he's over there praying with the guys, leading them in prayer. It's about more than wins and losses. And that's why Corey knows this because uh, I also coach. But I love athletics because there's so many sport uh, lessons that are taught in athletics that just don't get taught in the classroom. And there's so many life lessons that get taught. And so who you put coaching – is a critical leadership decision for a school. And so I, I applaud what you've done there at Central, but that's those are critical decisions. Well, I mean, I, they, I just hired the men that I thought were best for the job. I, yeah. I, people told me afterwards that they, they were uh, historical hires. I, didn't mm. even, I wasn't even thinking about those. Because in coaching, you don't have a choice but to develop relationships with kids. Right. Yeah. Some teachers, they can just teach and never develop a relationship with kids. That's not, that's not advisable, but uh, advised. But, I mean, coaches, you have to develop relationships with people. And so when I look at it, Corey, I, I look at it like as a coach, I don't even think twice about it. I go to school. I love all the kids. I don't care where their background is, where they come from. And you've traveled the world really doing training for companies and teams. Is, is that your perspective, or how do you, how do you come about that? Absolutely, and and the diversity that uh, that I've experienced because over all of North America, working with different corporate teams and athletic teams, I mean, there's not a nationality or or race that I haven't worked with. And of course, there's always that. Well, who's this guy? You know, he's you know military guy. I don't I don't want any part of that. So you have to endear yourself as a human being first, which I think is exactly what you're saying about coaching is that you got to connect with that player on a human level first. And you said something, Russ, about life lessons through sports and the single greatest reason to have your kids play sports when they say, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to play softball. I don't want to play yeah. basketball. I don't like it. Okay, good. You're going to do things in life that, that you, you don't, don't like. Do. <laughs> yeah. And this will be a perfect opportunity to practice how you'll be in that situ- in that situation. Like, what will your attitude be like? Will you bring energy to the team or will you drag the team down? So great. I'm glad you don't like it. You're going to play something and you're going to learn to function as a team or maybe even as a leader on that team. So. Yeah. You go have to play for people you don't like. That's right. And that's the, that, like I, we're t- constantly talking about that with, of course, with the girls on the softball team, because I, I remember Cause you coach that team. I coach that team. <laughs> yeah. And, they may not like you, Russ. I, I won't go into names, but I, you know, I had I had a situation where somebody didn't didn't care that much for me and my coaching style. But that was the conversation: was when you get a job, sometimes you're going to work for folks that mm-hmm. you may not like, but you're going to have to learn how to do it, and you're going to have to learn how to be respectful and and work through that situation. And that's just, there's just so many lessons uh, through sports, especially team sports. So. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that when I would talk to my teams at first, you know, liking liking your coach is is not part of the equation. Uh, you need to respect him, and then if you can come to liking, that's great. But you don't have to like him. You you do have to respect him. You do have to follow him. And uh, uh, that was you know my my speech to them in a sense was I'm not here to be your buddy. 
I'm here to be your coach. I'm here to be a mentor if you'll let me and, and go from there. And then the friendships, the relationships come once that foundation gets set. And, and that's, that's to me was one of the first things. And, and I think sometimes with young coaches and new coaches, that's the, that's the step they lose. They want to be the buddy and then be the coach right. instead of being the coach first and then let the friendship develop through the coaching. The guy that was the hardest on me when I was playing football in high school was, was Coach Pace and Coach Sharp. But now if you ask me who were the mentors that had the greatest impact on my life, I'm going to include mm-hmm. Coach Sharp and Coach Pace and Coach Page. Mm-hmm. Like, Because I look back and go, he should have got on me about that. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I was being selfish in that moment. And I got a story there, but I won't go into the whole story. But <laughs> I was being selfish. He should have jerked me about that. that. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he cared enough about me to discipline me. And, uh, and I think you're right. I think a lot of young coaches think, well, I got to be the buddy and I can't have discipline. I can't have accountability because they're not going to like me if I discipline them. And I think a lot of times the opposite is true. When you hold them accountable, they'll respond to that. You know, and so I didn't have, I didn't struggle with this at all, but it, it, it was something that I thought about when I hired coach golf to be the football coach. I simply had about a month and a half to spend with him. He came in with all this, uh, background, of being a hometown hero. Mm-hmm. And there was no secret that he wanted to be a head coach somewhere and probably at Columbia Central someday. And so that was that was a conversation that I already had with a couple of different people just kind of putting a bug in my ear. Um, but he came in with such humility and such grace. And then I saw the, how the kids followed him and how they wanted to follow him. And so I don't think it was a, a like, quote unquote, uh, situation. I, but I do think they love him, though. But I don't think it was a matter because I, I went up there to training and he was all over them about, you know, putting more effort in, putting more effort in and doing the right thing. And um, it was just how he was with the kids that made it a no brainer for me. X's and O's and going to camps and talking to the Nick Sabans of the world, those things can happen easily, but it was how he was with the kids that made it a no brainer for me to hire him. And I would like to think that I, over the years, I've never, I've hired one person that I can think of because I felt like we needed a, this specific person to be successful in this area, but I never hired people because of their race or their age or their gender, those kind of things. And I feel I'm proud about that, but Trey D and, and then when I saw Brandon over with uh, coach Cutlip, a no-brainer. He he's hard on those kids. He expects them to make good grades and to have character, and he's building that. And it's it's already shown in the basketball games that we that I've witnessed. And I'm not talking about the wins and losses. I think we're undefeated, but the character that I see in the hustle that I see that the kids are displaying on a regular basis. So it's just fantastic. So we're going to take a break here on American Steel, and we'll be back in just a few moments. This is Sarah Elizabeth, and you're listening to Front Porch Radio in Columbia, Tennessee, 101.7 WKOM. For 60 years, people have shopped Parks Motor Sales to get the best vehicles and the best service. ParksMotorSales.com has details on new Buicks, certified pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs, financing, certified technicians, parts, tires, and much more. Stop by 919 Nashville Highway, take a Buick for a test drive, and learn why the Buick Encore and Buick Enclave are among America's most reliable vehicles. Experience the new Buick at Parks Motor Sales. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. 
You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. Hi, this is Steve, the Garbage Man. Y'all have heard me talk in the past about Packer, our mascot dog. Well, I have some sad news about Packer. She recently crossed over the Rainbow Bridge to join our other beloved pets of the past. Packer lived out her final days on our farm in Water Valley. She had a great 14 years of life after being rescued by Don from being thrown away as a pup in someone's garbage. Rest in peace, Packer. This is Dr. Dominic Mancini from the Dr. Gill Center. If your car was damaged in an auto accident, chances are you'd fix the car. Why wouldn't you give that same attention to yourself? Untreated whiplash injuries of the spinal column may lead to conditions such as headaches, numbness in the arms, neck and back pain. The doctors at the Dr. Gill Center specialize in detecting and treating such injuries from an auto accident. Accident consultations are free. Call me painfree.com or call 615-551-9224. Caledonian Financial is a full-service family financial planning firm. What we mean by that is we will work with young clients, assisting them with budgeting and rods, young families with college planning, life and disability insurance, older clients as they bring in 401k rollovers and seek advice for estate and tax planning, and finally, our elderly clients when it comes to the distribution phase of their retirement plan and long-term care options. This is Daisy Cook with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Hey, this is Jonathan Castile, a.k.a. John Boy, with John Boy's Handyman Service. One call and we'll handle it all. Truly means we'll handle it all. From pressure washing your house to doing remodeling, we're licensed, insured, and bonded. So rest assured, John Boy will handle it all. You can contact me at 931-242-7620 or my email, castilejonathan10 at gmail.com. Tis the season for all of my favorite treats. Now, where are Grandma's homemade holiday cookies? Hold up. Where are Grandma's cookies? Easy, Joe. Grandma brought something even sweeter this season. <gasps> Your triple fudge brownies? No, Joey. Holiday instant games from the Tennessee Lottery. Made from scratch holiday wins? Grandma, you're a genius. Give the gift of holiday instant games topped with sweet cash prizes. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Oh, what game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Fill the halls with shouts of winning, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Tis the season to be giving, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Join the joyous cash prize carol, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. With top prizes up to $500,000, holiday instant games from the Tennessee Lottery make grand gifts. Find them at your nearest Tennessee Lottery retailer today. Please play and gift responsibly. This is Coach Devin Simler from Columbia Central Baseball. You are listening to 101.7 WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee. Hey, welcome back to American Steel, folks. It's funny, as we go off air to take a break, 
we have a dialogue and it just it just kind of occurred to me that all of our successes have come from failures or traumas or upbringings and those kind of things. And so what we're really talking about is leadership and leadership is about influence. So we have the peace and justice initiative, which uh, has had a, a big, since I've been here and been aware of that organization, I was honored to speak at one of the meetings. It's had a great influence in the community. Uh, we recently, we had a, the Carver Smith legacy night, which I thought was you know, I, to be honest with you, I don't have any history in the county as much as you guys do. So I was happy to do it. I was honored to do it. But when they started singing their alma mater from way back, it, it became it became very emotional for me to see the love and the unity of a group of folks. And um, so thank you all for doing that. That was and, and then the work that went into it. I, I can't start naming people. I just want to say. To my staff out there that were involved in the preparation for this, the, the amount of work was unbelievable. Thank you so much. It was so um, so well recognized, and there was so much love put into that program. But tell me a little bit more about that, Julie. Well, yeah, your staff was amazing. They came right in there and did everything that Chris Pointer asked them to do. Um, that was really um, Trent Ogilvy and Chris Pointer. That was their brainchild, and um, of course, it was sponsored by Columbia Peace and Justice Initiative. Carver Smith is a school here in Columbia that is obviously it's closed. Trent, um, Russ, help me on the years of Carver Smith. It was Smith. fifty. It opened it. Well, here's the interesting thing: uh, the night of February twenty sixth, nineteen forty six, which was the night of the Columbia race riot. That's right. There was a meeting happening on East Eighth Street for the formation of a school because okay. Murray County school said, we'll provide you the, the curriculum and all, but, but you, you don't, don't have, have to, you, you don't have a building. Right. And so the black community got together and said, we'll build the building. And so it started in 46. They, they started construction in 49 and we we're discovering more of this history the every day. St- the students built it. So the Randolph, students and Ra- their parents, Randolph Howe was the leader, but the students would go to school and after school, they would do construction. Yeah. Wow. So they wanted that. Uh, if I remember so right, it was part of their curriculum. It was part of the curriculum. Part of yeah. their curriculum was to learn how to build a building. And so it was <laughs> built. It. it was built in fifty or opened in fifty. It was finished at end of forty nine. Yeah. Opened in fifty and then closed in sixty nine okay. because of a uh, desegregation. And what was so significant about what happened Friday night was, and you heard it. We just Julie we literally just, just came from a yeah. meeting. We were just at a board meeting about this, but the uh, it was so emotional for people to come and to be able to bring their grandchildren and look at those pictures and go, that's your uncle right there. This is where we played ball. Like most of us have a school. I played at Lewis County. I went to a Lewis County Mount Pleasant game this year. I took my son, and I got to say, that's the tunnel we ran out of. I played on the first game in this. We played Loretta. It was 1991. You know, like I, I knew all the history, and I could show him all that. The Carver Smith alumni don't have that. That's that that building's an apartment building now, mm-hmm. and so in '69 they were made to feel that this community was kind of discarding them, and they lost a lot of that history and a lot of that connection. Mm-hmm. And what you did Friday night was kind of rolled out the red carpet and said, "This is this is your place. This is your school." The banner, I think, is one of the most significant things. The, the banner hanging in that gym gives them a place because a lot of them are already coming to the ball games Mm -hmm. gives them a place to come and say that was my school right there i was on that team 
right there. And it was, you know, it was, it was a really emotional night for a lot of folks. And that alma mater, like you said, it was powerful. It just, you know, when they, Joe Cornelius was leading and he said, I don't, I don't really know this song real well. He didn't have to. The, the no, whole just stands sang. lit up singing it. It was powerful. And some of them said, we don't even feel like, like we can close our eyes and we are in Carver Smith. We are in our high school. We don't even think, we don't even feel like we're in another high school. We are in our high school. And now that, that gave them a sense of homecoming, like a reunion for them. We were in the lobby the whole time. I was, and Russ was too, pretty much. And it was, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this, thank you for doing this. Um, they just were so grateful and so happy, so happy that we did that. And I, it was a, a group effort for sure. I want to mention, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to mention this or not, but I want to mention Coach Robinson's email to Trent. Oh, yeah. So Coach Robinson was the the coach there at Carver-Smith. He emailed Trent last night at 10 o'clock, and he said, thanking him about the legacy night and all that, he goes, I'm going to ship my trophies. Uh, he's got all the trophies from Carver Smith. He goes, I'm going to ship my trophies to you because now they got a home. Because mm. he hadn't felt like they've got a home now. And so it's almost like you can take, I'm not saying you can do this, but Chris Pointer brought this up. It's almost like you can take the 69 off because mm-hmm. what, what you said Friday night was, you got a home here. You, you, you're a part of us. This is not, you know, you're, you're a part of us. So it was, it was really significant what happened. And I think next year is going to be even bigger. Well, you know, I got to be honest with you. Um, I'm not. I guess I am. I guess to be transparent, I'm a little uncomfortable um, expressing my emotions. But when I got home, I got emotional telling my wife about how are we as a society if we if we try to prevent people from having an identity, and it really it really hit home with me in that I'm a modder. I got to tell you, I just couldn't, yeah. I, I, I wish I had, I, I know somebody videotaped it and I'm, I'm going to, I think Trent we've got did. it. You got it. So I, I can't wait to see it again, but I just, uh, I'm so, th- I'm just thankful for that night. I really am thankful. Uh, so much work and so much love and dedication went into that night. Um, and but so still listen, when I was in high school at central high school, we had to learn our alma mater, Sheila Hickman, made us learn it. like it was a grade we had to learn it and and to it, it's amazing to me that these alumni from carver smith still know their alma mater stood up and sang the whole thing my children don't know columbia central's alma mater i still know it so i mean maybe sheila hickman might want to come back and teach that alma mater <laughs> <laughs> To Start some, teaching alma mater and uh, to some hmm. central high school kids. They don't even know what an alma mater is. I'm yeah. just saying. Well, I think you're hitting home with Dr. Steele here because he knows that every Marine would be able to sing the Marine Corps hymn, yes. every verse, every, every word, verse. and it would go like cut real deep as they sing it and, you know, be proud of it as they sing it. I mean, it. So you I own that. that. The message that's is yours. very clear that we need that same amount of pride. I mean, yes. that's the same as having that student section that's at the games and they're mm-hmm. fired up and not one of them will touch a ball, but they're just as much a part of that team as everybody else. Well, we sang it at the end of every home football game. Mm-hmm. With Sheila, she stood there with us, and and she sang it with us. We had to sing it. 
Well, I had no idea that coming on my own podcast, I was going to get called out, but I guess I have a new mission. <laughs> That's uh, why we're here. Give me till the first game of next <laughs> next year. Give me the first game of the you next got, football you got season. August now, okay. <laughs> to August, the alma mater will be known and sung after the game uh, at Columbia Central from now on. So, yeah. thank you for that. Now, Miss Beck. Still. In, in fairness, <laughs> if you bring Julie Beck onto your podcast, there's a good chance you're going to get called out on something. See, so. and I didn't know that. And neither one of y'all. <laughs> He's already told me I'm aggressive. <laughs> See, she brought so. that up. Well, she calls me Steel. And that's I like it. I love it actually. Uh, but uh, it's it's funny. But Corey, on while we were on break, you had a leadership question for Russ. Yeah, I wanted to take it back just to something we said in the very beginning. And, and Russ, you're obviously leading outside of the church. And my question is, you know, it must be when you're talking with folks inside the building, inside your church building, and, and we all have the same ethics and values, and we stand for the same beliefs. It must be a, a little easier to lead in that environment. And then when you walk out of that building and you're confronted with the world, quote, world, where there's evil and there's people that don't have the same beliefs, completely different beliefs and non-believers, how do you lead there as opposed to inside that building? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a little bit since you asked it on the break. The My first part of the answer to that question would be this community makes it easier to do that. Then, you know, of course, uh, you know, I've lived, grew up in Hornwald and, and here, so I haven't been out of Arkansas for five years. But this community shares a lot of those value, Christian values, you could call them Judeo-Christian values. This community exemplifies those, whether people are active in church or not. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I've never had anybody say, you're a pastor, what are you doing here? You shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing this. I'm, I'm chairing the Murray Alliance right now. And nobody said, you can't share the Murray Alliance. You're a pastor. What are you doing? You know, um, so I think that's, that's one of the things I love about living in Murray County is we share a lot of the same values. And whether we're Baptist, Church of Christ, Episcopal, Catholic, or whatever, you know, that we share a lot of the same values, just the core values about humility and integrity and honesty and kindness and love and those things. Um, but when you encounter, if you encounter, you know, differences of belief, you know, to me, the, the big thing about leadership is you come, let's talk about the things that we can agree on, mm-hmm. and let's don't let our opinions on these lesser issues divide us. You know, so we agree on some of the big picture things, and I feel like most of us agree on the big picture things. Let's unite around those, and let's not, let's not uh, you know, sometimes we fight these battles that we shouldn't fight, and I just have to realize when I'm in a a meeting like that, that, you know, this is, this is not a church meeting. This is not, we're not discussing church doctrine and church beliefs. We're discussing, you know, the business community, or we're discussing how to get something done with Columbia Peace and Justice Initiative or those things. And uh, you just kind of focus on the, the areas that we do agree on and not try to, I mean, the, the quote in my mind is choose your battles wisely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think culturally we don't do that well anymore. And maybe social media's fault that kind of drives us into that a little bit more. But, uh, you know, we don't – I'm sure if we got to – we could throw any hot-button topic out here on the table, and we'd probably all have differences of opinions. But there's a, there's way more than we agree on than we disagree on. So we work together on that, and don't let the other stuff divide us. And But from time to time, there comes a time where you have to take a stand and be courageous in your leadership. And, sure. Yeah. And that may come with praise, and that may come with, uh, you know, people complaining. Uh, but that's part, of the, that's part of the leadership. When we get – when we start talking about race relationships and uh, – Peace and Justice and the Carver Smith legs, all those kind of things. We had a really challenging week last week as a school, very challenging. But when, when I think about that week, 
when we had the uh, funeral service for Will, and then we had the balloon release, uh, we were all out there together, one common mm-hmm. love um, and sadness. Uh, there were all sorts of people out there from all backgrounds of life, and you know there wasn't there was no issues, and there's there's not any issues with the kids. The kids are good. It's the adults that seem to be jacking things up when from time to time when they when things are not peaceful. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking about coaching. Uh, and coach, you know this. I don't know you guys have participated in coaching. It's it's not the players. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I rarely have a problem out of players. Rarely. I rarely lose sleep over a player giving me a problem. It's it's an uh it's the adults mm-hmm. that are usually more of the problem than the players. And uh, that's, a, that's just kind of – I don't know it's an unfortunate reality, but I hear a lot of coaches will kind of confirm that, that that's, that's a lot of times the, their frustration. And a lot of people will quit coaching, or I'm, I'm sure this is true in education too, will quit teaching, not because of the, the students, not because of the kids, but because of the parents. Well, not only that, but they also quit for lack of support from their principal or their district. But, uh, again, you've mentioned it, Murray County – we're very blessed here all the way up. Uh, our district supports us. Uh, I, I'm supportive. I, I know all the other principals. I know they're very supportive. And and um, we've had a great hiring year, and we're, we think we're going to have a great retention year this year. So kind of uh, turning turning the corner on uh, too much turnover and those kind of things. But going back to just the things that we've dealt with this week, from having uh, extra counseling out to the school and then having the, the – we went from sadness to uh, happiness and then to celebration. It's been a very emotional week. And from a leadership standpoint, I mean, you, you can get drained quite a bit from that. But, Corey, you, you've worked with you worked with our team before, you know. Um, so tell me about that. Tell me how that looks from a leadership perspective when you get drained. What do you do to reinvent yourself? Uh, well, I, I do want to touch on the Kids These Days comment that Russ made. And it comes up on every single podcast that we've done so far is that it's not the kids, you know, it's the parents or it's those influences in their life. And, um, you know, I would say as far as the racism, if you were going to say, well, do we have a problem here in Murray County? I would say if we do, it comes from old, you know, thinkings and and folks that have been around a while and just not let go of certain ways of thinking. And that's, again, not coming from the kids. It's not stemming from our children. It's coming from people that just refuse to change. And, And I see that. That's where I see it come up the most is when somebody says something, it's like, hey, man, it's 2023. Like, Get yourself together, and and we're all one community here. And like, it, the more you say that, the more you're gonna have our kids think it, and then they're gonna start saying it. And so that's where I see that coming from, and that's who I kind of attribute, you know, the lingering, you know, issues that we do have is really to, to folks that refuse to change. But um, I know that wasn't your question exactly. <laughs> no, it's just like uh, leaders. A lot of times people come to you and they always want something from you. Very rarely do they people come to the leader the leader and say, "Hey, I want to do this for you." And so it can be over it can be emotionally and physically overwhelming from time to time you find yourself in that space mm-hmm. where you're emotionally and physically overwhelmed. How do you, what do you do? What do you do to uh, counteract that or to kind of take a step back and overcome it? I think it's it's similar to being a parent and you know this cuz and I know you do this in your office is that's an opportunity for development. So somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need this or I want to do this. Okay, give me your plan. 
you know, if you don't have your plan right now, come to me Friday. We can meet Friday at lunch and, and you can brief me on your plan. But I'm going to give that ball to you. And if you want to do this in the school or if you want to do this inside our business, then come up with a plan. I'll either approve it or adjust it and, and we'll go from there. And you told me this is you love it when maybe they come up with a plan that's not exactly what you would have come up with and you are going to let them run with it because that's where you learn the most. So. Yeah, I've done that numerous times. Like uh, one year we had great gains in, uh, in English too, and I thought fantastic. I think we had the best gains in the district when I was at Metro, and then the English department chair came, and he wanted to try something entirely different. I was like, why? I mean, <laughs> why he fix it if it's not broken? But I let him try it, and the, and the numbers dipped the next year, and he came back and said, hey, let's go back to the other way. But he got to learn from that, right? And so that's kind of leadership is about influence. Um, Julie Beck, I'm not going to call, I dare not call what? you just Beck. No, just uh, the, you introduced me to Best Buddies, uh, and I, and it was a, it was several times that you were on campus with Best Buddies before I ever kind of knew what Best Buddies was all about. And then they showed up big the other day, and they always show up big, and there's always a smile on those children's faces, and their families just love it. You're you I'm, without trying to be sound funny. You're, you're everywhere doing so much for so many people. Where do you find the time and the energy? Uh, I don't function very well sitting, doing nothing. Um, I like to stay busy, and I love this community. I love our public schools. Love, love, love our public schools. I love Whitthorn. I love Central. It's where I went to school. It's where my children go to school. And my children have done so well. Um, It's up to them. I do not put it, I don't put all the responsibility on the admin, the teachers. It's, It's up to them. I think we all have skills that are untapped. It's like y'all were talking about when somebody comes to you with a problem, you got to say, you have the skills. You have the skills. Go find them. They're in there. Figure it out and then come back to me with a plan. So, you know, you see all this stuff on social media, the complaining that, well, let's just be quiet and listen for a little while. Let's just listen to what this person has to say or or what they're dealing with. And we're probably going to learn something. So when my daughter Lily was in high school, she observed some some mistreatment of some kids um, with a disability, one particular girl with a disability in the lunchroom and she just wasn't going to stand for it. And so she went to the principal. She reached out to some other people that had some resources, and she found Best Buddies. And so she met with them in Franklin. She had them come down to Central High School. She figured out how to establish a chapter, and it just grew from there. And it was so easy because everybody wants friendships Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be included. And to do that is it's not hard. And you just got to organize it a little bit, especially with these children that have special abilities. You've got to have an admin that's on board. And I've always had admins that are totally supportive. Um, We have chapters all over Columbia and Murray County now, and it's just taken off. And now we have friendships all over the place and kids are included and they're having fun at school. Whereas in the past they didn't want to come to school. And, and that was one thing about Will Space. He used to not want to come to school. And I mean, everybody knows Will Space because he was everybody's friend. 
So that's Best Buddies. Yeah, that young man, uh, he is a legacy. He is. He definitely and has left a legacy. I mean, there's so much support. That was uh, people, students returning from college that, mm-hmm. that were his best buddies. And yeah, got to, Trace. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Just the, the overwhelming love and support that he and his family got, fantastic. And so. it's, it's such a benefit for the kids that have the disability as it is huge benefit for the peer buddies. Oh, yeah. It's Absolutely. just a win for both. It's a win-win, yeah, because, mm-hmm. I mean, if, and if you're uncomfortable with that as a student, the, the time you become comfortable with working with those children and seeing the blessing that you are to them and they are to you, it's too late. You're hooked. Mm-hmm. You, you love kids exactly. from all backgrounds, even even kids that have disabilities and are challenging from time to time. I've seen too much uh, joy in the school mm-hmm. uh, since uh, with Best Buddies and, and having that. That's why... So when you came in that one day, I said, "Why are we canceling our meeting? I'm not canceling Best Buddies. That's that's a that's a priority for me in the school's Best Buddies, just because it is an education uh, for those kids from from both walks of life. It's fantastic. Let's take our final break here on American Steel, and we'll be right back. Celebrate you with a new vehicle from Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. We have a huge selection of new vehicles waiting for you. We're talking cars, trucks, and SUVs. And if you're in the business of selling your vehicle, we've got you covered. We'll buy from you even if you don't buy from us. At Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia, we're locally owned and operated and proud to serve our community as the largest CDJR dealership in Tennessee. Find your new ride today when you visit Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. Hi, this is Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. Here is what some of our customers are saying about us. Great people, the place to shop for fair prices and great craftsmanship. Beautiful vintage and custom jewelry. Thank you, Beth. That is our goal. Stop by and see for yourself. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Tillis Jewelry, downtown Columbia. Owned and operated by Rick, custom designer and Terry registered gemologist. Assuring you the best jewelry value and expert services. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hey, this is Trip Stoltz, owner and manager of Columbia Ace Hardware. Football season is here, and that means tailgating starts now. Come see us at 112 East James Campbell Boulevard and let us help you get your backyard game ready. We are open Monday through Friday from 7 to 7 and on Saturday from 8 to 4. Go Vols! Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. This is Delk Kennedy, owner of Kennedy Broadcasting Company, operator of WKRM, historically 1340 AM, now 103.7 FM, and WKOM, 101.7 FM. We call ourselves Front Porch Radio, and I've said many times what that means. It means that we are working to connect this southern Middle Tennessee community, one listener, one relationship at a time. And let me elaborate on what that means. In this community, we will relentlessly promote jobs, commerce, business, industry, education, arts, green space, music, rivers, the great outdoors, healthcare, churches, charity, sports, and all the great people of Southern Middle Tennessee. 
Join us. Help us. Call us. Front Porch Radio. Delk Kennedy, thank you for listening. Merry Christmas from WKOM 101.7 FM. Ho, ho, ho. And welcome back to our final segment here on American Steel. We have Miss Beck, and then we have Pastor Russ and Corey with us. Corey's been on several times before. Corey, I'm excited because you and I are collaborating. Ura Leadership and Warrior Mindset on a leadership training that's a two-series, uh, two-piece uh, series here in Murray County in January. And I want you to introduce it and tell us a little bit about uh, how this came about. Right. Yeah. It's just been uh, over several conversations in our recent relationship over the past year, uh, developed a leadership course called Leadership Crucible. And um, mainly just getting folks together. And now we will start with an adult class on January 13th, and that'll be phase one. And phase one will be defining leadership, discussing leadership challenges that we've had in our jobs, in our families, as coaches, as parents, as, as community leaders, and then saying, okay, then how can we attack those challenges? What, what can we do better? Typically, what does it come back to? Communication, trust, um, and then those, those tough decisions where it's unpopular with most of the people you're leading, but it's the best thing for the team. So that's what we're going to talk about in phase one, and mostly classroom. Like I said, we might get out of our seats and practice some communication. And then in phase two, we'll ask those same folks to come back and actually get outside and, and practice leadership in an adverse scenario where they're experiencing, you know, being outside of their comfort zones and, and working on leadership when it's uncomfortable. So. If somebody comes to this training, and you, I've, we've known each other for a year, if somebody comes to this training and they pour themselves into it, what do you expect them to take away from it? Yeah. And the the great thing about that and and why I do this is because I expect that person to be a better mother, a better father, a better spouse and a better leader in the community. Right. And that's why I think uh, I I feel the same way. It's like it's not just about production at work. I mean, you you need to be better at every aspect of your life. Uh, I tell people all the time, if you come to work and that play, the place of employment is your inspiration, then you've already lost the battle. You need to be inspired before you get there, inspired by the things that you're doing, the things that you're saying, the people that you're around, the influence that you're having on people. And you may, I wanted to mention one, too. You talked about trust and respect, but value. How do I value myself so I can value other people? Uh, and so that's why I'm really, really excited about it. I've been doing this work all over, well, the world, really, and like you have. So it's, it's awesome that God has brought us together to collaborate on this. Uh, so there'll be more information coming out on the leadership uh, crucible uh, on the January thirteenth, mm-hmm. and we already know it's going to be at one oh six West Sixth Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one oh six West Sixth Street. It'll be all day long, and uh, there is a cost associated with it. But you'll, if you want to find out more about this, please call me. Please reach out to me or Corey, uh, or and you can get our numbers at the radio station here, and uh, we'll have more information for you about that. One of the things, Pastor Russ, that I want to talk about is um, dysfunction in a on a team. And I'm, I'm asking that for selfish reasons because I want to hear more perspectives on dysfunction of a team and how, what you would do to change that to be more functional as a team. Yeah, well, you guys were talking about some of it. I, the, the one I was going to add as you were talking about it was consistency because mm. um, you're talking about, you know, the, the keys to leadership is communication and trust 
And I think consistency, clear communication and consistency builds trust. So that but both of those things will build trust. And if you're in a dysfunctional team or a dysfunctional organization, it's usually because of a lack of trust. Either a leader has behaved inappropriately or a board has behaved inappropriately or, you know, whatever kind of controversy has come into that situation. And you get it's you know, I'll talk about it in marriages. If there's a if there's a violation of trust, it usually doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly. And then it takes a long time to rebuild that trust. So however long it took to destroy that trust, it's going to take to rebuild it. It's a slow process. And so I think with dysfunctional teams, there's no, there's no overnight fix. But it's it's that you know steady, consistent, I'm proving every day that you can trust me. And, and that kind of begins to, to build that. You know, you've got standards that you're holding your team to and standards that the leadership's being held to. But uh, – you just got to be consistent in how you carry that out. Well, and like it take it only takes one thing to destroy years of yeah, trust building. Absolutely, one thing can destroy that. But then if you mm-hmm. think you're going to go back to trusting the next day, you're you're mistaken. It's going to take more years to reestablish that trust. And from an organizational standpoint, you can start seeing things turn, but you're never going to be convinced that you can you can trust. It's going to take a long time for you to be able to um, trust once you've been disappointed. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, you know, you're talking about standards and I know that I'm a little familiar with warrior mindset because our players have gone through it. And, um, but you know, that's one of the things you talk about is that the standards and goals. And so it does force you, the thing I'm interested in y'all's program, you know, as a leader, it would force you to think through in your organization, what are my standards? And then how do I hold people accountable to those standards? How do I make that a standard in the organization? And I think a lot of organizations don't take the time to do that. You know, just the small things. And I'll give you an example real quick. With the softball team, one of the standards that that when Corey came did training with our softball team, one of the things he implemented was be on time. You you are not late to practice. Practice starts, you know, at the time it starts. We call coach calls practice at three o'clock. That means you got your cleats on, you got your bag unpacked, you're out on the field, and you're warmed up, ready to go. Because if you're late, you're taking away everybody's time. And so that was a standard that he introduced, what, three years ago, Corey, mm-hmm. maybe three in our team? Uh, last year, I haven't told you this, last year, I, I didn't have – I had 16 players. I had nobody late for a single practice the whole four months of the season. Mm. Never late. Wow. Because it's a, it's a standard that's now been established because they know we aren't late. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have to enforce it. The girls enforce it. They, the, the, girl, the older girls will say – Coach says practice at 3 o'clock, be here at 2.30. Mm-hmm. Games at 5 o'clock, be here at 4.30. Mm-hmm. Do not be late. And they will call each other and text each other and say, where are you? Because they know we're going to hold the, the team accountable for it if they're late. But, I mean, that's the kind of stuff. Like, when I started coaching, I never really thought about that. And so going through that training as a coach made me realize, okay, that's a, that's a very simple standard. But that's important, and it communicates that this team's important to you, this practice is important to you, that kind of thing. So, those yeah, I mean, being on time is a respect. Mm-hmm. It's a it's consistency. It's communication. It's attitude. It means everything. A lot of people just think about it. Well, I'm going to be three or four minutes late. I'm going to be okay. That's just that's a whole attitude that you're coming to whatever you're supposed to be on time for. That's a whole attitude perspective. And we were talking all fair about a 
a young man that was helping another young man and he thought he was cheating when that's the kind of young man that will go pull somebody out of a burning tank. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's, and then that's why you have some people that rise to that level of heroism and, and some people that just don't, uh, because of their willingness to be that teammate, that, that kind of person. So, um, yeah, yes, sir. Corey. One thing on that too, it, it works both ways. And what you were saying is once you establish that standard, then, Hey, we all have something to hold each other accountable to. And, and we want to be that team. We want to be the team that's disciplined enough to be on time. If you don't establish standards, but then you talk about accountability, right? So what are we holding each other accountable to? Nobody knows. It's mm-hmm. just what this person thinks is right. And then what this person thinks is right. But that may be 10 different versions of what is right. So as the leader of that team, whether it be a church or a business or a school, if you haven't set the standard and then you go hammer somebody for not meeting your standard, you're going to erode that trust faster than a, you know, a flood would have coming through the valley. So I ask you this question. I'm going to answer my own question. It's like, what do I expect students to leave this training with? I, I expect them to there's two things that I expect these students to leave with. Some will leave with confirmation that they're doing the right thing. And some will be challenged to change their perspective on a lot of things. Like how are, intentional are you about being a father or a husband or a supervisor or a subordinate? How intentional are you about seeing the mission of your company reach its goals? And then how intentional are you about seeing uh, your goals for your family and those kind of things? So you're going to be confronted either way or it's going to be great confirmation for you. And since in my experience over the years, traveling all over the world, doing this, Corey.